Welcome back to the Movie Brewer Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Scott Willis, and this is the podcast where we look not just at movies, but at the stories behind actually getting them made. In 2018, a fantastic little horror movie came from the most unlikely of places. John Krasinski, best known as Jim from The Office, never intended to make the jump to directing, but the right prompt set him down a path, a path that would lead him to a quiet place. This episode was originally meant to align with the release of A Quiet Place 2, but like so many movies thus far in 2020, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the release has been postponed. Luckily, the original is available to watch during your social distancing on both Amazon Prime and Hulu. But before we get too into it, as always, let's crack a beer. Spoilers ahead. This is the Movie Brewer Podcast. All right, our beer this week is Tread Lightly Ale by New Planet Beer. Uh, New Planet was founded in 2009 in Boulder, Colorado by Pedro Gonzalez, who thought his beer drinking days were over when he was diagnosed with celiac disease. The quest to find a beer that he could actually drink eventually led to the founding of New Planet, which specializes in gluten-free and crafted-to-remove-gluten beers. The Tread Lightly Ale that I have here is a crafted-to-remove-gluten beer. Uh, what does that mean? Basically, it breaks down like this. Gluten-free beers are made entirely with gluten-free ingredients. Barleys and ryes, which usually have gluten in them, are completely replaced by things like millet or rice or quinoa, corn, with beers that are, and this is the term, crafted to remove gluten. They're brewed with the traditional ingredients maybe some that are lighter in in gluten, uh, and then an enzyme is added to break down any gluten that may be in the mixture. I've never actually had a gluten-free or gluten-reduced beer before, so we'll see how this goes. Unlike others I've previously had, this is only a 4.9% alcohol beer, so I, I hope to keep my coherence a little better than usual. Um, and let's crack this open and see how it feels. So this beer is crystal clear, not crystal clear. It's, it's got color to it, but I can see straight through it. It has a fair amount of head, um, you know, maybe two, three fingers worth. Um, and it's very thick, but wow, this is, I think I've said this before, but this looks like a stereotypical stock beer that you would, you would see in like a commercial or something like that in terms of aroma. It's pretty pretty simple. Um, there's maybe a little bit of citrus in there. It's uh, it's it smells light and crisp, um, as light and crisp as anything can smell. Um, so I'm I'm rambling. I'm just gonna take a sip, see what we think. That's very nice. That's it's it's very light and refreshing, and I think I can taste the lack of gluten, if that makes sense. There's definitely a unique taste to it, um, which is not a bad taste at all. Um, I'm digging this. I've already taken like four or five sips of it, though, so I'm a little worried that I'm going to end up in a a dry place 
instead of a quiet place. Yeah, I just came up with that off the top of my head. This is going to be a good episode. So with that, let's go. <laughs> let's go. God damn it. With that, let's go to a quiet place. As always, I'm going to start us off with a brief synopsis, but then we'll break into the history of the production. So in a world, you know, in a world, in a world where I should do this, I should always be doing these in the movie trailer voice. I don't know why I haven't done that before. I'm not going to attempt to do it just off the cuff right here, but I'll make a note for the next episode. So, you know, tune in. So in a world Back to the synopsis. In a world where the slightest sound can set off dire consequences, Lee and Evelyn Abbott, played by John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, struggle to keep quiet and keep their family safe from the unseen monsters terrorizing the world. Best known for his role as Jim in The Office, although maybe also now for Jack Ryan on Amazon, Krasinski never anticipated being a director. His first experience directing was a film called Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. It's an adaptation of a David Foster Wallace story, and he was convinced to direct it by Rain Wilson, his co-star on The Office, Dwight, who, while Krasinski was looking around for someone to direct the project, prompted him with the question, does anyone know this subject matter better than you? And that question gave him the motivation to direct Brief Interviews with Hideous Men, but also became a guiding principle for Krasinski in everything he's directed thus far. Krasinski's original encounter with the idea for A Quiet Place came from a prompt that he received while doing some prep work for Amazon's Jack Ryan. Producers Drew Form and Brad Fuller had been reading a spec script and asked Krasinski if he'd ever considered doing a genre picture. Uh, you know, he, he'd never done a horror movie before. He wasn't a particular fan of them, but he thought it might be fun to act in one. The elevator pitch is simple. A family that can't make a sound or terrible things will happen. To go into a little bit of history behind the script itself, it was originally written as a spec script by filmmakers Scott Beck and Brian Woods in 2014. Uh, their agent was shopping it around Hollywood and it eventually landed in the hands of Michael Bay and his company Platinum Dunes. Yes, Michael Bay, director of The Rock and Transformers, was one of the executive producers on A Quiet Place. Bay had worked with Foreman Fuller, the producers, on the TV show The Last Ship, uh, which is how they originally found out about the project. And as I said, they were now working with Krasinski on Jack Ryan. So that's how that all sort of came together. When he was prompted with this tagline, a family that can't make sounds or terrible things happen, the idea set off a hurricane in Krasinski's mind, and ideas and pages and scenes started pouring out of him. Enter for the first time Emily Blunt. Fantastic actress in her own right, married to John Krasinski, and as much a player in this film as he is. John's sheer enthusiasm for the script had her convinced that he had to be the one to direct it, and she in turn convinced him. She prompted him with the same mentality that Rain Wilson had, is anyone going to know this better than you? And he was in. Krasinski went back to Drew Form and Brad Fuller uh, and said he was in as long as he could rewrite the spec script and direct it, to which they promptly agreed. Uh, so after officially signing on, Krasinski spent the next three months refining the script, adding his own flair, and really making it the script that he wanted it to be. And then just like that, he was into pre-production. Starting 
with the large farm where the family is holed up, which is located in Pauling, New York, and was the perfect location for the film. So much so that during the production, several crew members found it hard to believe that Krasinski had written the script without that location in mind. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's take it back a second. Let's take a look at the cast we have here, which is very, very small. Overall, there are literally just six characters in this film, but let's run through the main four here. So obviously already we've talked about, we have John Krasinski. He's playing the protective father in what would be... uh, in what would be one of his first leading man roles since The Office. I suppose you could make an argument that he's not really a leading man in The Office, but this is a movie podcast, damn it. Uh, Krasinski had a lot to say about directing himself. He says he really enjoys it because he can make the decisions to add himself to a scene or hurry himself out of hair and makeup just to keep the schedule going. He doesn't have to worry about getting into a tight scheduling spot and then having to have an in-depth, long conversation with his actor about their motivation because it's him. He knows what he's going to do before he ever steps foot on the set. It's also fun to note that Krasinski also did the on-set motion capture for the creatures in the film. And then we have Emily Blunt, who's cast in the role of Evelyn Abbott. Uh, while Krasinski was rewriting the script, they never really considered her for the role. They had talked about maybe doing a film together in the future, never really where John was directing, you know. So Emily Blunt was helping Krasinski kind of look around for different actresses, give recommendations of who she thought was going to be good, things like that. All this while he was still rewriting it. Then she read it, and as soon as she did, she knew there was no way she was going to let this role go to someone else. She walked straight up to Krasinski and said, I have to play this role. And that was it. We also have Noah Jupe, who plays the son. He was recommended by a former agent's assistant to Krasinski. He had recently done the film Suburbicon with George Clooney, who spoke incredibly highly of him, saying not only that Noah was one of the best child actors he'd ever worked with, but he was one of the best actors, period, that he's ever worked with. And that's quite a vote of confidence coming from George Clooney. And then we have Millicent Simmons. Uh, Millicent plays Reagan, and one of the most important things to Krasinski from the beginning was that the role of his daughter be played by an actress who is actually deaf. He believed, and this is going to be a reoccurring theme that you kind of see, that he can learn more about the world he was trying to create if he could talk with someone who physically lived in it. Krasinski and Simmons were closely together to make sure that all of the elements of Reagan were true to life. And she also helped the cast in depth with their sign language, which I do want to pause for a moment and talk about the sign language in this film. Um, It's really nice to look at the detail that goes into this because each character signs with their own personality in this film, which is something that you don't see a lot. For instance, Krasinski's character's signing is very short, quiet, to the point. Emily Blunt's character signs with a much more flowy, nurturing manner. Simmons is rife with teenage rebellion. And Simmons was a key in helping them all kind of feel out exactly how that should read. They also did have American Sign Language mentor Douglas Ridloff on the set. He was hired to make sure that all of the signing in the film rang true. So production for the film starts in May of 2017, as I said, in Pauling, New York. 
cinematographer Charlotte Bros Christensen, who had worked with Blunt on her recent film, A Girl on the Train, was brought on and served as an important resource to Krasinski, uh, similar to like he did with Simmons. He, he wanted someone that was deeply in touch with the cinematography world because he's still learning that language. I mean, because again, he was primarily an actor. This was still kind of a new kind of thing for him. But honestly, the big thing we have to talk about with this production is the sound work, obviously. Usually on films like this, when you're out in the field doing scenes, the sound has to be very clean and, well, like, audible. But with A Quiet Place, they kind of flipped the script. Krasinski tells a story of how one day when they were shooting scenes in the woods, some group of people nearby were riding ATVs, which anyone who's ever been near an ATV knows creates quite a bit of noise. Set PAs were dispatched to try and silence them, but this is the woods. Not an easy task. You can't really chase down somebody who's driving through the woods if you have no idea where they are. But with this film, that didn't really matter so much because they weren't recording any specific dialogue. It's all silent. So they ended up just shooting their scenes MOS, or meet out sound, uh, which is an industry term for shooting without a synced sound recording, uh, and fixed it later, got the recordings later. So that being said, I do want to give a, a big shout out to supervising sound editors, Eric Adal and Ethan Van Der Rijn. They led the sound team and they recorded a lot of diegetic sync sound, meaning sounds as they actually occurred during the recording. Think things like floors creaking and dice rolling on a game board. They recorded as much of that in the moment as they could and then escalated that specific sound in the post-production so that, you know, it, it rings a little bit louder. Everything, every little noise seems a little bit louder, but the sounds that they do have are crisp, clean, and perfect. The sound team also spent a full weekend recording every single sound they could find on that farm so that they had solid references in post-production. Things like different insects at different times of day. They even went as far to put lavalier microphones on individual stalks of corn so that they could reference that and the sound they make as they sway back and forth later in in the post-production. It's really interesting to realize how much goes into the sound of a film that really is all about the lack of sound. It's also a cool side fact that composer Marco Beltrami actually incorporated some of those sounds that they recorded into the score itself. So we have to talk about, as you would have to with any monster movie, the monsters. For these superhearing monsters, Krasinski teamed with Industrial Light and Magic, namely Scott Farrar, one of the originals. He was part of the teams at Industrial Light and Magic that worked on Star Wars, that worked on Jurassic Park. He was heavily involved with the raptors in the kitchen. And Krasinski was so excited to work with him and very open to ideas. Again, as we've seen before, he was ready to let those that know better than him guide him and help him make the best film he can do. In his own words, the strongest thing that someone can do is say, I don't know. And he worked so closely with Farrar, telling him the ideas that he had and then asking what he could do to make it better. And as I said earlier, he did some of the actual motion capture work for those monsters on set, which 
the image of John Krasinski running around waving his arms like a monster is pretty hilarious to think about. So they shot for about two months, spent three or four in the in the edit room, and the film premiered at South by Southwest in Austin on March 9th, 2018. Two rave reviews from the critics. And as so often happens with things at South by Southwest, internet buzz grew heavily around the film as, as word spread of how good it was. And the box office predictions that give us a sense of, you know, how much money a film is expected to make in its opening weekend kept rising as they approached their wide release date. I think when they first started, they were expected to get around $17 million the opening weekend, 20 maybe. When the film actually opened wide on April 6th of 2018, it was number one at the box office with an opening weekend of $50.2 million, which is pretty damn good. The best review, according to Krasinski, came from Stephen King, who praised the movie as an extraordinary piece of work. Terrific acting, but the main thing is the silence and how it makes the camera's eye open wide in a way that few movies manage. Now, Stephen King, not really a movie reviewer, but when you're talking about the king of horror, that's that's a hell of a thing to hear. And as I said, everyone kind of agreed with him. To this day, the film sits at a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's justly deserved. There's a simplicity to this movie that really draws you in, and it doesn't have a huge scope like some of the other films we've reviewed here. Uh, It's a very small story. It's very short. I think it's only about 90 minutes long, but it draws you so tightly in with these characters and gives you such a punch. And I'm not one that usually really likes horror movies. You know, I I have a hard time engaging with them, but this one drew me in from the beginning and you watch the whole movie with bated breath as if exhaling is going to call the monsters down upon the family. So yeah, that seems to be a much quicker one than usual, but I'm going to bring it back down to the quick facts here, starting with this film, as it rightly deserves, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound Editing. Uh, It lost, unfortunately, to Bohemian Rhapsody, which I will not comment on. There was talk of not having any subtitles for the sign language in the film, which seemed to work in context for most of the scenes, really except for the one where they talked about the cochlear implant. It was a little bit too complicated, and Krasinski and and the producers both kind of agreed that phrases like, I added an amplifier, would be a little hard for audiences to, to gleam. And once you put subtitles in one scene, you can't really not have it in the others, so subtitles were added in to all the scenes with, with sign language. Um, overall... Audibly, uh, not with sign language, but audibly, there are only 25 lines spoken in the entire film, which I found really interesting. You know, yeah, there's not a lot of talking in it, but thinking back, I'm like, 25 seems low. The budget of the film was $17 million, with approximately $86 million in promotions and advertising. Um, that cost included a trailer that ran during Super Bowl 52 at the beginning, but still during the Super Bowl. As I said earlier, the total opening weekend of the film was $50.2 million. Its total domestic run was $188 million. Um, its international run was $152.9 million. Uh, and it did really well in the international markets because 
a lot of people were excited to watch a film that lacks a lot of English dialogue. Total overall worldwide was $340.9 million over a 38-week run. Not too bad. That's about $238 million profit on the film, which is not too shabby for a small horror film by a somewhat new director. Overall, it was the number 15 highest grossing film of 2018, and it lost that out to Black Panther, of course, which grossed $700 million. So 15th, pretty good. Nothing to sneeze at. And like I said earlier, well-deserved. I'm going to come back to my uh, my beer here, to my, my tread lightly. I don't think I really went into the, the tie-in between the beer and the movie, but I think it's fairly obvious, you know, tread lightly. They have to not make sound. I feel stupid explaining that now. I feel like you guys probably got it. Tweet at me. Let me know if you got that. Um, I do also want to say I'm, I am enjoying this, uh, this crafted to remove gluten beer to be considered as such fun. Final fact that I'll leave you with, uh, the beer must be tested and have less than 10 parts per million of gluten involved. So, so that'll do it. That's what I got. That'll bring us home for episode 10 of the movie brewer podcast. As always, you can find me on social media. I'd love to hear if you guys have any suggestions for movies I should do, beers I should drink. I'm certainly open to either. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Movie Brewer. Uh, you can read my beer reviews on Beer Advocate. You can read my movie reviews on Letterboxd. And that will bring us home. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm Andrew Scott Willis, and this has been The Movie Brewer Podcast.